Praise God. God's presence is in this church. God's presence is here with us, and it's exciting to be with Him, isn't it? It's amazing to be in His presence, isn't it? There's nothing else. Those that have, uh, I don't have that past, but those that have had a past of uh, drug or alcohol addiction will tell you that it doesn't compare, right? All that does is bring misery and pain and heartache. But the Lord is so faithful. His presence is unbelievable, right? It is no drug. There's no high that's going to ever give you what God gives you. Amen? And so there's many that can testify of that. And it's not just those addictions, right? There could be the high of the thrill of just of this world, the highs of uh, adventure and, and just seeking, uh, you know, to always be doing something new and crazy. And all that stuff just leads to nothing, doesn't it? Eventually, you find that those things are just empty, but God's presence is so sweet, and God's calling us into his presence this year, isn't he? He always is. You know, it's amazing. I've been saying that there are seasons. There are. Uh, God's always calling us. That's kind of a universal rule since Adam and Eve were created, but then there are times where the Lord just calls in a greater way. And you can find that in the Bible. I'm not going to get into all of that again today because I've been teaching on this the last couple of weeks. I've been, that's been a, a sub-point many times, but I'll say it again, that God is calling in a special way in this season. There's like a door of opportunity, and God is, is, is and it's, I can say it this way. If the president was coming through town, right, he's always the president, but if he was coming through town, that would be your chance to go see him, right? Because that's the opportunity. There he is. He's, he's still the president, but he's going to be in town at this particular time, and there you would, you would need to be uh, to, to see him, if you wanted to see him in person. So it's the same way that God is always God, but there are times you can see this path through the word where just certain generations, certain people, there are just certain periods where God is, is opening a door to more of him, more of his presence, and, and times get dark, and the Lord is still there, but praise God, right, as we were just praying, that when God begins to do some miraculous things, right, we all love the mountaintops, we all love when we've gone through it, and then we see the miracle, no one likes going through the process to get there, but just hold on, that you must go through the process, there is a valley to every mountain, right? From mountaintop to mountaintop, there is a valley, but just keep going. Don't give up. Keep trusting God. God's taking you through. Amen. Amen. I want to read something to you. This is just so um, miraculous. It was, it was honestly unbelievable. I already knew um, what was in my heart. I didn't quite have it fully ironed out, but I knew what the Lord was saying, and uh, I'm still going to say the word again wholeheartedly. I said that last week as I started the sermon, and then we got into Exodus, and we got into Moses and, and the, the death angel passing over. Uh, we're not going to get into that today, but the same theme of being wholehearted, that God is looking for a heart that is sold out to him. And so I, I just I grabbed a Bible, and I sat down. I flipped open the Bible. And I don't do this that often because I'm usually in my digital Bible, 
So it's usually left off where I left off. And, and God's done that. God's used that many times. Many times I open up to where I left off and realize, wow, this is not just something I was reading. This is what you want to speak on. But sometimes um, we used to do this all the time. You know, we didn't flip it open like roulette, but you would flip it open and God would show you something, right? Who can testify? God's done that many, many times. Now, if you were going to say, you know, God, should I buy this house or not? And you're sitting at the mortgage table and you're going to flip open the Bible. You know, I'd be cautious to do that. But sometimes you flip open the Bible and God says, has something there for you. And so I flip it open and I look down and I read these words. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter in. I looked at the words. I didn't see the page I was on. I didn't see the chapter I was on. I just opened the Bible, and I didn't even know where I was going to turn yet. I hadn't, my mind wasn't even shut off. I'm still in the world, and I'm going to get into some God time. And so I just opened it, and I was like, wait a second. I know this verse, and it's Psalm 24, verse 9. And so I've been doing this kind of uh, unofficial series uh, two weeks ago, I called it More in 24, and I got into that in New Year's Eve, and then our first service, because of a snow cancellation, was uh, two weeks ago for, for 2024. And then last week, um, I brought it again about opening the door, open the door in 24 to the Lord. And, um, and so today, I'm going to preach on 24 for 24. Now, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this. The funny thing is I wasn't going to be the first service in 2024. Jeannie was going to be the first service because I was going to be away. So I did our New Year's Eve. Last year, I did 23 for 23 as our first service. And, and really, the Lord began to uh, show us that him being that shepherd, right? As we just talked about, going through those dark valleys, right? He's the shepherd leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. He really showed us that that was a chapter um, that was going to be a, a lesson for the whole year. And so we began to talk about 2024 about three, four months ago um, behind the scenes. And, and we looked at Psalm 24 and thought, you know, it's not just because it's 24, but I think this is the Lord's word for this coming year. And God does those things, doesn't he? I said last week that God puts a burning bush to catch your attention. God doesn't need to do clever rhymes. God doesn't need to make 24 go with 24. But God does those things, doesn't he? Who knows that the earth hangs perfectly, right? Who, who remembers from all your, your science that if we move one degree this way or one degree that way, right, we either burn up or we freeze to death. So God is a God of order. He's also a God of poetry. He's a God of, of love, right? He's a God of beauty, of science, of history, of math. I mean, all of it. He's all of those things. So he does things to catch our attention. And so Psalm 24, 24 for 24. And it's not a coincidence that what, if I, what did I preach on last week? Open the door in 24. I flip open the Bible and it, bought the, it says, open up the ancient gates, open up, 24, uh, Psalm 24, verse 9, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter in. Now, most translations don't say open up ancient gates. It, you can bring up the New King James for me because they most, almost 
All translations say something like this, lift up your heads, all you gates. And I began to do some research in why the NLT says open up and why most translations say this. And I got into the classic Bible war on the internet. And I was like, I'm not doing this and I don't have time for this. We could get into that another time. But basically, it either means us to lift up our heads and the gates are, two, are a separate thing. You lift up your heads, the gates need to open. One way or the other, it's still saying the gates need to open because the king of glory is coming. Amen. But some people read it as we need to open our heads and the and oh you gates, comma. Well then others say what it was was that almost all gates at that time, they didn't swing like this. We picture gates opening like this. Picture it more like a castle gate where they actually rose up. They rose above. And so it was the head of the gate was open up. So it really doesn't matter, but I thought that, you know, we should, I should note this, that um, almost all translations say this, and either way, I would have gotten the idea. But I happen to sit down in the Bible, I don't usually, if I do thumb open a Bible, it'd be a traditional Bible, because I have my NLT right here in my digital. So if I thumb open a Bible, it would probably be the New King James. And, but I thumbed open, which I would never do, but I didn't have my digital Bible next to me, a physical Bible that was an NLT. And it was my point is that the Lord wanted me to hear those exact words, not necessarily to get into a debate of, you know, what lift up your heads and all you gates, but that he wanted me to hear, it's time to open the door for the King of Glory. So I want you to say that out loud with me. It's time to open the door for the King of Glory. And so let's read, uh, I'm going to read just a portion of it, not all the verses, but I'll just start in verse 3 for time. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive, it says, verse 5, the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with their Savior. And we're going to continue down to verse 10. It says, Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. What people? Because this is a clause now. What, what people? Such people as referring back to those that are clean, whose hearts are pure. Those are the Lord's, right? There's a blessing in knowing Him, in their relationship with Him. And it says that they can seek Him and worship in his presence. And then it says, verse 7, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? It's a question. And the Bible is answering its own question. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. It's so powerful, isn't it? And the thing is that um, we didn't have YouTube. We were just talking about this on Tuesday. We didn't have YouTube not too long ago, right? We didn't have Christian television not too long ago. We certainly didn't have the internet uh, at all, you know, just from the time that I was a teenager, right? It was barely a thing. 
And uh, you weren't able to find out what other preachers are preaching on. You had to maybe make a phone call to somebody across the country, across the world. But now you can get on YouTube and you can see. And I'm sure because it's 2024, people, you know, there's always going to be guys that are just like, okay, what are other people saying? And they're like, okay, let's find clever things. And everybody copies each other to an extent. But with that said, I happened to hear a couple of preachers preaching on Psalm 24 just this week. I didn't go looking for it. I just opened up my YouTube like we all do, right? And then there's your recommended. And usually my recommended would be something to do with outdoor stuff because that's what I like watching. But here's a preacher, and it's Psalm 24. I said, well, that's interesting. It's 2024. We didn't preach on that. Let me listen to it. And I had no intention when I heard it of then preaching on it on Sunday. So my, I'm just making this point that others are saying this. The Lord, this is the Lord's message for this time. That's what I'm trying to say. This was the Lord's message. And if I wasn't going to get it, he was going to make sure I got it. He had me open it up and hear it from this preacher. And maybe, maybe it was just my own pride. Well, I'm not going to copy that message because he's preaching it. I don't, I don't know what went on in my head. Maybe it wasn't that detailed. Maybe it just was, okay, that was great. That's amazing. And I'm just on to my own thing. And then the Lord's like, no, this is what I want you to speak on. And, and what the Lord is speaking to us in this time is really what we've already been saying for these, these first few weeks of 2024, which is that he's looking for a people that are pure and that are righteous and I'm going to get into that a little bit, of what that means, that will come and actually seek him. But God is making a promise to us that he has made many times, which is, if you seek me, you will find me. That's a promise. I want you to say it out loud, because sometimes your spirit, man, knows it, but your head needs to hear it, okay? I want you to say it out loud. If I seek him, I will find him. We need to hear it, because sometimes we don't believe it. Who has sought God and you didn't find him? You thought. You thought. Then God did so many amazing things. You have to actually, who has to look back sometimes and go, wow, God, you were all over this situation. I just didn't realize it. Sometimes we're so bogged down and so heavy by this world and by just its influences and, and just all of it's like, it's, uh, your head's like a radio, um, like an like an old radio, okay? You know, that you can turn a dial, or maybe you want to think modern terms, it's like XM up there. And God's one channel, and then there's 250 other channels, right? All these other trains of thoughts and all these other things going on, all these other opportunities for you to be focused on. And if we just tune to God, it's clear, but sometimes we're like in between. That's why I said like the old ones. Remember when you can kind of, remember as a kid, you're trying to get it really close. You're just about there. You know, it wasn't quite, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, 89.7. It was like stuck between. You were trying to get it to 89.7, but it was like kind of stuck between. You heard a little bit of that station and a little bit of your station. And uh, some, that can actually still happen, right? You drive around town even today, even with our antennas, right? If you're not on a digital uh, system like XM, you'll go in and out of other radio stations. So sometimes God is trying to speak to us and, and he is actually speaking to us and he's confirming, I'm doing it. I'm actually working in your life. I'm working a miracle. Be at peace. 
Trust me, he is saying it. He's not just leaving you to see the miracle at the end, but we're, we're so bogged down. We're so focused on the issues or the trouble we're going through or whatever it is that we're not hearing him. He would be confirming through our lives, I think, many times that we miss. But I want you to know this, that he's saying to us, seek me and you'll find me. So... Uh, there's a way. Everybody say there's a way to do it. Jesus stands, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. We need to hear this verse because this is a key. The Bible says that he stands at the door. What door do you think this is? Anybody can guess what door this is. Come on, as believers, we know what door this is. This is the door to our own hearts. He's not standing at the door to this church right? He's standing at the door to your own heart, and he's knocking. And he says, if you hear my voice, so there we go. He's, he's, the Lord does the first initial wooing. There's an old word, right? I say it a lot, but I don't, I don't does everybody know what wooing means? That's an old, old word. If a man liked a girl, you know, he'd have to try to woo her. <laughs> you know, he might be really nice to her. He might open her door. He might do his hair nice. He might compliment her. Or whatever the wooing is that she needs. God knows what wooing you need. Everybody needs to be wooed a little bit differently. And sometimes you need to figure out what their woo is. <laughs> Everybody needs to be wooed a little bit differently. But the Lord always does the initial. The Lord always calls first. And that's how we can say that grace is free. Let's just, let's just put some pillars of Christianity up right now and just establish some things. Grace is free. That's why we can say that it's, there's nothing you can do because it's always him. It's always been him. It's always going to be him first. He does it all. And he's presented everything. It's all there. It's all in line. Everything is in order. Heaven is established. There are mansions, Jesus said, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. He went to the cross. He paid the price. He shed his blood. The Holy Spirit's been sent. And now everything's in order. We're standing here in the book of Revelation, and there's one thing left to do. Let him in. That's it. So we need to see first that God is, there are, there are roadblocks and there are things in our lives that we, we should pay attention to. Paul had the road to Damascus, right? Where he was on his way to go kill more Christians because that's what he was doing. He felt like that's what he needed to do to please God. And he's on his way to go kill some more Christians and the Bible says, that suddenly there was a light, right? He's thrown off his horse. You guys know the story. And suddenly he's blind to this world, but his eyes can see. His physical eyes that he thought he knew, right? We, that's your perception. It's a, it's a, 
there's a picture, there was something, there's a metaphor happening in his story. It's not just his life, but there's a metaphor that the Bible is painting, which is you think you understand, you think you know what you're doing, you think you know what you need to do, but you are actually blind. So the Lord needs to close your eyes to those things. You need to close your eyes to what you think you know, your perception, that's your eyes. But, but suddenly he could see the Lord. He's blind to this world but he could see the Lord. And there are many of us, or many times in our lives, for all of us, that the Lord actually has these moments and we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. There are moments, they can be good and bad. I'll say it that way. Sometimes we think if everything's good in our lives that God's pleased with us. That's not true. And sometimes we think that if everything is bad in our lives, God is against us. We've opened the door to the devil. That's not true either, because like I just said during prayer, Joseph, if we would have used that modern Christianity, that, that theology, which I don't agree with, if we were to use that, then Joseph must have been in sin because he couldn't pray himself out of prison for 17 years, couldn't get himself out. He must have done something wrong. He definitely, st- he definitely stopped tithing. You know, that's a fact. If he had just tithed, then he would have been out of prison 17 years ago. Anyway, I'm just hitting some things here. The point is that it's not always when things are good or things are bad. You can't judge like that. You can't just judge your scenario through your perception. There are times where God will actually use a good moment where we're actually meant to stop and thank God. The Bible calls these rocks of remembrance. There are times where they crossed over, God brought them through something, and they're actually meant to stop and thank God and praise God. And Jesus, we actually have a New Testament story where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Nine of them just go off and take their healing and run away. One comes back and says, thank you, and Jesus notes it. He says, where are the other nine? And so there are moments where God has done something amazing in our lives, and it's meant to, we're meant to stop, acknowledge him, and have a moment with God. There are other times, right, throughout the Bible, <laughs> there's much more of these, where things start going wrong, and God's allowing it, right? That's why I said, I I prefaced Joseph, because don't just assume, because things aren't going great. God might be in the middle of a miracle. If you were to judge Jesus on the cross on day two, right? Day two after the cross, I mean in the grave, we would have thought, man, the devil won. Jesus was a liar. He wasn't the son of God, obviously, because he's dead. But on day three, he was about to rise, right, and show the world Uh, who Jesus really was, not just a man, but the Son of God, and that Satan was defeated. But there are times where things start going wrong, and God is trying to get our attention. So it could be good or bad, but we must pay attention that God is looking. There is a moment where he begins to knock on your door, and the knocking is different for all of us. I've heard many times of people hitting the bottom, That's what they need. I've heard people that they had to hit the very, very bottom before they finally heard God knocking on their door. Other people don't need that. There's no such thing as good. I may touch on that. I said I would, but we'll see. What I planned on touching on being good. Uh, There's no such thing as good, but Dawn and I are different. As a kid, I was a bad kid. What, I mean, what is a bad kid? What's a good kid? I just mean that I didn't mind 
getting spanked, I guess, because I got spanked a lot, which meant I didn't mind doing bad. I didn't intentionally think I'm going to get up and do bad today, but I just forgot <laughs> or was, you know, somehow just didn't remember the last beating. Whereas Dawn, I think, you know, she got punished like that once in her life, <laughs> one time, just a different person. So there's a different, we are all different. We all go through different stories. We all have a different way that God needs to reach us. But one universal truth is this, that God is standing at the door of our hearts and he's knocking. Now, most of us in here have, or maybe you're listening on the podcast, have opened that door to him many times. Rick used to joke that his name was written and crossed out so many times, right? God's going to have to find a new place on the stone for his life. <laughs> many of us have opened the door, but I really feel from the heart of God that God is actually speaking to every single person in this room. Think of your life, think of the door as, as doors. Everybody say it's not just a door, but doors. It's not just a door, but doors. Think of your heart as like a home, right? And in fact, your heart is actually a picture. It's a, there's a metaphor of the temple. And the temple of God, which is ironic because Psalm 24, uh, Jewish historians, they, the, the history to this Psalm, historically, we don't have it right there. In, it's not in the Bible where it says this. But it's, it's believed that this was the psalm that was sung as a song to bring the ark back after it was stolen, right? It was in Obed-Edom, and they're bringing the ark back, and so this was the psalm. So he's bringing, it, bringing this ark back into the tabernacle, and your heart is actually the new tabernacle. Say, my heart is the tabernacle. Right? Your heart is the, it became the, the built-in stone temple. And within that, there was what we call the outer courts, and then there were the inner courts, right? You have the holy place, and then through the curtain that Jesus tore from top to bottom when he was crucified on the cross, when he said it is finished, an earthquake erupted right there in Golgotha, right? And the temple shook, and the veil between the holy place, the most holy place, was torn, and God's presence was now accessible to anyone who was willing to go in. Your heart now is the temple. That's what our Bible says. I don't have time to get into all. I'm not here to prove anything to you, right? You guys can talk to me after, and you can go and do your research yourself, but if I spent so much time trying to prove everything to you. Just believe me today. Who believes me that our heart is a picture? Or the, the, um, let's put it that way. Um, let, let me go back the other way. The temple was actually a picture of your heart. And so there is a door. Many people have allowed Jesus into the outer courts. And I don't, I'm not here to convince anybody listening on the podcast or in this room that where that place is of like, of what salvation is, going to heaven, not going to heaven. Some would just say it's just the prayer. 
Some would say it's uh, Derek Prince, an old-time preacher, used to say it took like three years. That was just his, his he, did, he didn't have an exact science to it, but he, he used to say it would take about three years for someone to get really saved. He wasn't saying that their prayer didn't matter three years ago, but take some time for your head and your heart to line up. Who can testify what I'm saying? You're like, you think you know, right? Every, there's the old testimonies from the 70s and 80s, and I, I don't know what they are now because I'm not in that world, but I've heard from the old timers that they just go, went back to the bar. <laughs> they went back to the bar, right? Picked up their joint again, and now they're like, I know Jesus, man. Right? But that's the story I've heard from so many. Because there took some time. I'm not saying you weren't saved, but there was some time for it to really just click and that you get it. Like, wait a second. Wait a second. It's not just that I know Jesus. I want to know him. I, I, knew, I know of him, but now I want to know him. Amen. And so everybody in this room God is calling us to a deeper relationship with him. God is knocking on inner doors. There are doors inside you that have been closed off to God, some that you know you've closed off, some you don't. You know that we are very good at adapting as human beings. It's amazing. I've been, I talk to my kids about these like deep thoughts all the time, right? It's just how we think, how I think, and how I think with them. You go on a vacation and like instantly, like, you know, like a day or two in, like, this is my life. This is my life. Like, this is where I live. This is what I do. Like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Whatever I feel like. And we, we are amazing at adapting to our situations. We do. We just, we're, we're able to, to uh, somehow create this like, fake life within life. And I use that example. Now let's bring us home. Now you're at work. Now you've got a family. You know you can do the same thing in reality. You can be living in a facade of life right within life. Who has ever experienced that? Who's ever felt like, wait a second, and you just feel like you need to wake up like the Matrix. Like, I've been like, living like a zombie. I've been living, like I'm not really living, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not really alive. And you know, the Lord is, is trying to wake all of us up. What we do is we are, the only reason you're able to do that is we're able as human beings, and I believe God has created this, is part of the beauty of the, uh, this amazing thing that you get cut and then it heals. Isn't that amazing that God made your body able to heal itself? I think in the same way, your soul does something like that. And, and it, is, it can be a good thing if it's handed over to the Lord in the fact that it gets wounded, but then it can heal. But sometimes what we do is instead of letting it heal, we, just, we push it into a corner and we close the door. And um, it's only a matter of time before somebody opens that door unintentionally. And the Lord is actually saying, I want to get into those places now. Some of you know where they are in your life, and some of you don't. Some have hidden sin in their lives. Some have hidden desires in their lives. Some just have hurts and bitterness and past that's been tucked away. Others, it may be 
unintentional things from when you were a child, things even generational things. How is it possible that a piano player gives birth to a piano player? How's that possible? An artist gives birth to an artist, right? I don't understand that, but there are things that have even come into you generationally. That's in my Bible. I have biblical proof. There, are, there were curses, some of them that were four generations, some a thousand generations. Right, Dan? There are things that carry through generationally, things inside you. And God wants his people free. God wants his people to know him. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to be close to him. And in order to do that, he said, who can stand in my presence? Who can stand in my holy place? Only those, verse 4, whose hands and hearts are pure. Now, I started to say there's no one good. No, not one, Jesus said. We have two scenarios. We have Jesus on the cross. He's being crucified. And next to him is a criminal who begins to mock him. On the other side of Jesus is another criminal who sees. He says, don't you even at death, I'm going to paraphrase, but don't you right here at death, don't you have any remorse? And don't you recognize that this man has done nothing to be here? And he says to him, he says to Jesus, remember me. Jesus says to him, today we will be in paradise together. We see this simplicity of salvation, such simplicity. He had no chance to live out a godly Christian life. He just said to Jesus to remember him. But there was something inside of his heart, right? Here's the chance to be bitter and to be hard, to be like, you know, I'm only, I was only stole, I only murdered because I had to, right? Isn't it amazing how everybody justifies everything and everybody blames everything on everybody? It's my dad who did it to me, right? That's the old story, right? My parents, it was, I, I didn't get raised with a dad. It was the climate I was in. This spouse did this to me. This friend did this to me, blah, 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 blah. And that's the reason I am. It's not my fault. And so here's this criminal who's blaming him, you know, blaming Jesus, he's on, you know, save yourself, and he's got no remorse. He's up there because, you know, he had a bad lot in life. And this other guy realizes, I'm a sinner. And in that moment, that brokenness and that humility, all the doors swung open in his heart, and, and there was instantaneous, there was salvation. At the same time, Jesus talks about good. And there's another man. This man comes to him and says, what do I need to get salvation? Now, Jesus shows us on the cross, but he actually explains it out now in words. We don't have to understand. We don't have to, to struggle and, and wonder what Jesus was really thinking and what was really going on in this man's heart because Jesus tells us. This man says, how do I get saved? What, what is salvation? He says, keep the commandments. Now, the man on the cross didn't have a chance to keep the commandments, so what, did, what was Jesus really saying to this man? Well, he goes, I, I, I have. I've kept all the commandments since I was young. And Jesus says, great. That's amazing. So then just sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and follow me, and you'll be saved. And the Bible says that he turned away, he walked away from Jesus because he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to give up what he had. So we can see that Jesus 
And, and the, 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 the first statement was, he says, good teacher, Jesus says to him, you know, who are you calling good? Only God is good. There's an acknowledgement of God right there, acknowledgement that Jesus is God. That's a little hidden Easter egg, by the way, that, right? Those are called Easter eggs, by the way, old-timers. Young, the young guys know what I mean. <laughs> it's a hidden truth right in front of your face that Jesus was acknowledging. It, this man was actually calling him God. But even though he called him God, he couldn't give God what he was asking. And because of that, he walked away. So we see that even at the face of Jesus, what Jesus is really looking for, he wasn't, even though he said it's about keeping the commandments, that's not really what he's looking for. Keeping the commandments should come out of a devoted, selfless, whole-hearted person. If you just keep the commandments, and it's just for doing commandments for commandments' sake, you've got nothing. Jesus wants what you're not willing to give him. That's really what he's after. Because if we're not willing to give him everything, then he's not really God. That's why God, that's why Jesus targets him in that area. That might not be your issue. When he knocks on the doors of our hearts, that might not be your issue. Your issue might not be, I, I, it's going to be hard for me to give up possessions. That might be easy for you. For you, it might be hard to forgive somebody in your life. That might be your issue. And he says, I want you to forgive them. And that stubbornness, that hardness inside of us, that place is really saying, God, you're not God. I'm God. It's powerful, isn't it? God's calling us deeper, isn't he? Do you know that there is a, another gate? I think this is so powerful. I'm going to bring this together in these next few minutes. This is so, so, so powerful. There's another gate. Who knows of another gate? Who knows where I'm already going? We're already going to another gate in the New Testament, Matthew 16. Jesus talks about another gate. And there's this encounter in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, to his disciples, who do people say I am? And so they start rattling off, well, they, they say that you're John the Baptist, they say you're Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, and then he says, but who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter, he answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, you didn't get that from human knowledge, from other people, or what you think. It's not in your brain. It's not from something you heard, but this has been revealed to you by God. This is a revelation that you have, that he's the Son of God. And he said, now I say to you, he said, now I say to that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The New King James Version says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Today we're talking about gates. There is a gateway to your heart, and the Lord is saying to us, let me in. 
Let me in. Let me in for the first time. Let me in again or let me into those hidden areas. We all have them. But meanwhile, there's also a gate that has been swung wide open. The Bible says, just for time, I'm just kind of bringing a lot of things together very quickly here. But the Bible says that there is a broad and wide way that leads to destruction, right? But narrow is the way, and narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few find it. There is a wide way, and there is a narrow way. Jesus stands, and he says, Upon this revelation, Peter, that I'm the Messiah, the living God, the Son of the living God, upon that revelation, that's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church on that revelation, and... The gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. Why am I bringing this up? This might seem like, is this tied together to the whole beginning of our sermon? And I'm bringing this up because Jesus did something here. This is amazing. Jesus was standing in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And this is actually, um, was a renamed city. Where he was standing was renamed after the emperor Caesar Augustus. But where he was, was in a place originally called Panius. I think that's how you would pronounce it. And it was named after the god Pan. And the god Pan was a half goat, half man. And this region worshipped him. In fact, when Jesus stood there, was still worshipping this god Pan. Now, I just want you to, do you ever wonder where these, these cartoons of Satan come from? That he's got horns and a tail? You know that the demons and, and the devils that we, that we just read about them as, oh, well, that was just Greek worship. That was just, you know, Mesopotamian worship. They, those were all just, that's all just fake. Where, does, where do we get these images of Satan being like this horned beast with a tail? Partially, there are bull gods, there are, there are goat gods, there's this part man, part goat god here, and in fact, the, the citizens of Caesarea Philippi, of, of, of Panaeus, uh, believed that their town, their city, was the gate to the underworld. They believed that this region... They would come and worship. They would do all kinds of, you know, you can use your imagination, but weird demonic stuff that they would do at, these, at this entrance. It was always, you know, sexual, and it was always uh, sacrificial, and that they believed that this was the gate of hell. Now, Jesus, when he died, the Bible, there are so many verses, but just very quickly, in Revelation 1, Verse 18, he said, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. In the New King James Version, he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. We can read in Acts chapter 2, you can read it in your own time, but um, Peter is giving this sermon to the Jews about how King David prophesied of Jesus coming and what Jesus would do. And it says that his soul, part of the prophecy in Acts 2, coming back from what David said in the Old Testament, 
was that his soul would not be left in Hades. And you can read it there. Uh, it's, it's a lot of verses. But it says that he was raised from the grave. He was, he was seated in highest honor. And there he is today. And, and they say to him, okay, it's pierced our heart what you're saying. What should we do? And he says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 20, I'm going to bring this together, believe me, in one minute. In Revelation chapter 20, one of the final judgments against the earth is that it says in Revelation 20, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God's throne. And he opens the book and he looks at the book of life. And, and based on your life, if you were in the book or not, you were thrown into the lake of fire. And he takes, it says in verse 13, death and the grave, which is actually, there is that word Hades again, and he throws it into the lake of fire. Jesus is knocking at our gates, and there is a gate that is opened to us. Meanwhile, I preached on last week that he's also calling us inside. He says, I am the gate. I am the door. There's, this, there's a a welcoming of Jesus into my life that must happen. He stands and he waits. There's also a simultaneous invitation for you to come out of this world and into him. Seated in him, Colossians says. There is a welcome, we saw it in Exodus, going into your house, closing the door, covered by the blood of Jesus, protected by his blood, and watching death pass us over. What Jesus did in Matthew, and then we saw it there in Acts and in Revelation, what this is talking about is there is a gate. When you were born, you didn't even know it, but your life was headed towards hell, right? We know that as believers. That's like we get so used to these concepts that we forget, wait a second, this is a really powerful thing that we're talking about. Your life from the moment you were born was headed towards hell. What, if, if you did nothing, if you just lived your life and never opened the door to him and never went inside with him, you would go to hell. It doesn't make sense. It's shocking to us. It's, we could be bitter. We could say, I don't, wanna, I don't want this God. Obviously, all those things are far from us, but those are things the world says. We have repented, we've turned to him, we believe in him, we love him, and we know that it, what actually happened was Jesus got on the cross and went down into the grave, took keys from Satan, and took what was so easy and so wide and so broad and brought us, he has literally brought us, when he calls you and says, I'm standing at the door of your heart, I'm knocking, he's literally bringing us with the keys in hand to the gates of heaven and says, do you want to go in? He took and stole. It was stole back what was stolen from him. It was stolen from God because of sin, that there was even Hades to begin with. This was not a place that man was ever meant to go. And God took the keys from Satan at that moment. And this is the key I'm giving to you today, that he said to Peter, 
It's not the hell and its gates are not going to prevail against my church, against the revelation. I'm the son of God. It is if you will receive me, if you will welcome me, is what he's saying. I'm giving you a key, Peter. I'm giving you a key that if you will welcome me, those gates that you're so wide, the, the hell is just coming and going freely in this earth. You don't need to worry about those things. Death will happen. All of those things, it's going into the lake of fire one day. But the key I'm giving you today is that even though you're going to die, even though death will still find you in the physical sense, I'm giving you a key into eternity. It's so powerful, isn't it? It's amazing. Let me wrap this up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for the power of your own name. I thank you, Lord, you've given us the key, the name of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is a key. And I thank you, Lord, that even though hell, its gates are wide open and the world is coming and going, Lord, I thank you and praise you that we have a key into eternity, that we can come and be in your presence whenever we want because you've already called us. You've already began, you already began knocking. We can come in and you can come into our lives. And I thank you, Jesus, for this gift that you've given us. I just give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.